and welcome back to yet another session of Linking the Travel Industry, where we discuss the most recent travel industry-related news events. Um, my name is Rian, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Agentivity, where we help travel management companies gain insight, control, and growth with their booking data. And I'm joined, as usual, today by Anne and Ash. But Anne and Ash, if you can just introduce yourself quickly, I'll appreciate that. Yes, hello and welcome, everybody. Um, um, my name is Anne Cedarhall. I'm an independent uh, consultant in the in travel industry in general. It's great to be here. Over to you, Ash. Hi, everyone. My name is Ash, and I host a weekly business travel podcast called What's Up in Business Travel, where we give you all the important updates of business travel in under 15 minutes. You can access that at Business Travel 360. I'm also the Vice President of Sales at Traxo. Thank you both, and thank you for joining us in the audience. It's really nice to see some familiar faces as well as some new ones um, that's connected to me recently. So thank you for being there. Just a reminder, we are recording this session because we do turn this into a podcast. Um, Ash will tell us more about those details towards the end. We do encourage audience participation so if we are talking about a subject that uh, you find interesting and have a comment on please just raise your hand we'll happily get you on stage just remember you will be recorded our feature story this week is about a post that jay did so jay thank you for joining us you did a post about a annual report about airline ancillary sales and so if you could introduce yourself and just tell us a little about the report my name is jay Sorensen. i'm the president of ideaworks company IdeaWorks Company is a firm that works with airlines all over the world on revenue improvement, specifically through ancillary revenue and loyalty programs, frequent flyer programs. I, I think we have effectively defined the category of ancillary revenue. And with the good support of our friends at Car Trawler in Ireland, we uh, put together on an annual basis uh, the Car Trawler Yearbook of Ancillary Revenue is something that uh, we put out every uh, September. And I think this year's book... Uh, has 146 pages and it's available uh, for download free of charge at the website. That's right. And thank you for explaining that association with Cartrol. I wasn't quite sure why it was called that, but clearly they they um, they help you guys get this out to market, right? And so do you mind telling us what were your top key takes from this report about things that were different this year? Making this report for the past couple of years has been a real challenge because we have a system in place for extracting information from airlines and relies on financial disclosures, typically at annual reports or or other types of um, quarterly uh, investor calls. And that has just been a challenge because a lot of these reports have been late because of the pandemic, because of the problems that airlines have incurred. The other thing has just been the, the wildly differing results from year to year. And it looks like 2021, which is the financial results that this report uh, discloses, is you know beginning, thank God, to level out in terms of returning to a bit of a normalcy. But what's interesting about, I think, overall about ancillary revenue is that it has persisted through the pandemic. Uh, it has been a, I guess you could call it the rock of Gibraltar, because while passenger fares obviously decreased due to a lack of demand, ancillary revenue, which is comprised of revenue from different sources, tied to the passenger journey. And so they can be a la carte seat assignment baggage. They can be commission-based, such as the sale of hotel or car hire uh, and, and the commissions that are paid to the airline for that. And also loyalty programs are a major source, especially in the U.S., of ancillary revenue. But really, almost by every measure, in terms of on a per-passenger basis and also on a, especially on a percentage of total airline revenue basis, Answer revenue uh, increased during the pandemic. Obviously, not on a total amount, big drop in it because of the loss of traffic. Very good. Ash, what did you make of this report? And do you have any questions for Jay about it? 
This report is really, really a good one. And I think that there's so much amazing content. I mean, when you put together something that's 146 pages, it's got to have good content, right? So it definitely does. And so congratulations to you, Jay, Thank uh, you. for the idea works and Carl Trawler for really putting this together. From an ancillary perspective, I'm based here in New York. So clearly, a lot of the airlines that are on the top ancillary list are actually from the U.S. and North America, right? So one of the things that I thought would be interesting, and I didn't find that anywhere in the report, so I'm wondering if you know this, it would be great to know the number of members in each of these categories. You have brought in another report that we put out back in August called the Big Book of Travel Data. And in that provides a year's worth of data in terms of passenger revenue at airlines, passenger traffic. And there's also a section that discloses uh, what we have been able to find in terms of frequent flyer membership. Great. So you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Not planned, by the way, for the listeners. It's a number that... Airlines in the U.S. have become very cagey about uh, disclosing this number for whatever reason, which I find interesting because the frequent flyer programs are such a giant part of their revenue pie right now that I think it's a material bit of information that should be disclosed. And again, I'm just using American as an example here. And 20% of their total revenue comes from from this ancillary category. So what I'm trying to deduct here is what percentage of their total membership of frequent flyers. And the reason why I bring frequent flyers in there is because I've always thought that, you know, I mean, the more frequent you fly, the less revenue you provide the company from an ancillary perspective, right? So as a frequent flyer, you tend to not pay bags, you tend to not pay for seats, you end up paying less by being a frequent flyer. And so I wanted to kind of see what those numbers look like. So that's why I asked. Typically, some of those fees, by the way, are paid by the credit card bank, uh, the bank that's issuing, even for frequent flyers. But you're right, if they have elite status, some of those charges are going to be waived. But overall, frequent flyers tend to have a higher uh, fare profile than other travelers. Well, first of all, I mean, thank you so much, Jay, for this report, because it's absolutely excellent. And, and I use the report as, as reference material for my course on retail with Aeroclass. So for that, I am very grateful. I'm also, you know, I also thought that the sort of focus on the importance of frequent flyer was interesting or loyalty in general, because it is a huge revenue generator and it hasn't been my impression that there's been enough focus on it in the past. I was uh, particularly interested by Qantas numbers there because they have done an excellent job. So that's something that, that struck me as interesting in the report. And also, I believe there are five airlines, right, who generate more than 50% of their revenue from ancillary sales. And this is this is really interesting, wouldn't you say, Jay? The five airlines you're speaking of are Wizz Air, mm-hmm. Frontier, Spirit, and Allegiant. And- Wizz is at 56%. Frontier is at 55%. Both of those, by the way, are up more than 10 points uh, from 2019, which is just yeah. part of the magic of this goal of, of answer revenue in terms of being such a powerful contributor. I think we are seeing the limits. There was probably... 15 years ago, Michael Leary, the CEO of Ryanair, was was talking about perhaps passengers flying free of any fare and everything was going to be ancillary revenue. He doesn't say that anymore. And I think that at 56 percent, we're, we're seeing the limits that of the ancillary revenue penetration of the overall revenue pie for low, ultra low cost carriers. I always find that um, what, what Leary stated as years ago by saying that the fare could actually potentially be 
free of charge or whatever we call it. And then um, it would be interesting to see that happen. I don't know if we will. You know, there's there's some things I want to pull out of the report that are just interesting. Air Greenland's a small, very small carrier, but you see carriers doing different things in terms of reaching out to grab more of the of, of the leisure spending category. They purchased three hotels in their country uh, over the past year, over 2021. If you're going to fly to Greenland, you're obviously flying on Air Greenland, and it's kind of a captive audience type of situation. China Southern, you don't usually see a lot of innovation uh, out of China in terms of ancillary revenue. The country is is not a early adapter of practices here, uh, but they had during 2021 they had they introduced something called a luggage home service in which they are providing home delivery of check baggage for a fee, and they're currently working on 19 airports uh, for that service, and they offer a real time tracking of the baggage uh, through the mobile app. EasyJet continuing this theme of reaching out and grabbing more leisure travel. EasyJet has been very active with EasyJet holidays. It's a small program still. I mean, they, they hope to have just under 1 million customers of EasyJet holidays for 2022. But they disclosed something I think is a real achievement, and that is 63% of their hotel bookings are booked with properties that the airline has contracted for directly with the hotel provider. So in this particular case, if you have a holiday program, oftentimes you will, you will rely on a third party to arrange your hotel bookings and, and rates. In this particular case, EasyJet is operating as its own wholesaler, I guess you could say, with 63% of the activity being directly contracted. That's an impressive achievement. Tar Airways, kind of a secret uh, that exists with the with the Middle Eastern carriers, especially the ones in the Emirates. When these airlines started, they were granted the license, the liquor license for the country. And so if there's alcohol that is imported into Qatar, it is by virtue of the arrangement that exists with the airline. And so it has become a very uh, significant uh, source of revenue. And in the case of 2021, the airline generated revenue of this program for this program of $582 million. It's a big boost to their bottom line. That's an interesting fact, Jay. It, it's, it's something that we have sleuthed as a result of just crawling through their, the annual reports for these, for these carriers. So that was, that was absolutely so revealing. I mean, uh, I can't get over that number for the seats, but you're also right, Ashton. Uh, yeah. One about the, the alcohol sales in Qatar, $560 million. That's insane. That's really, really incredible. Yeah. So, wow. Okay, so again, I see the audience growing. Thank you guys for joining in and listening in. Some familiar faces in there. Great to see you guys and girls. Now I'll go back to the the other stories of the week um, that I posted about on Friday. I started off last Friday with talking about Delta Airlines. I incorrectly said it was United, but Miguel, who's in the audience, corrected me there. Thank you very much, Miguel. Um, but they invest heavily in a electric vertical takeoff and landing manufacturer, Joby Aviation. It's a pretty cool aircraft on their website with some pretty nice uh, you know, scenes of those flying from what they call a vertiport, which is in your neighborhood, which then takes you to the, uh, to the nearest airport. Ash, I guess you really like that sort of stuff, right? It's not space travel, but it's, it looks like it. It is absolutely fascinating. Uh, the CEO of Joby actually 
spoke at the GBTA conference in San Diego this past August. So we all got a really good feel for what Joby is up to. They're not only talking about vertical takeoff and landings, which of course is a huge part of Joby Aviation, but the focus of it is to do it in a manner that is quiet, where the sound of the aircraft is less than what you might hear from the leaves of the tree blowing in the in the wind. So that's kind of the focus, and I think that's what makes it so different and so unique. Because no one wants to hear a huge aircraft sound in the backyard, and nor do they want to hear it in the neighborhood. But you can make this work where you don't even hear the sound of the aircraft. Now you're talking about being able to really go anywhere and for sound quality not to be deteriorated in neighborhoods and in small areas. So uh, Joby is really onto something, and I'm not surprised that the airlines are going to invest money. So that's great that Delta is doing that. Uh, they're saying that they're going to have this available in the LA and New York markets very, very soon, um, as soon as the year 2024. That is very soon. And was the noise of the electric aircraft your first thing you thought about when you read the story? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I do agree. I, I really, I, you know, I was, I was trying to, the lawn here in front of my building, I was just picturing all these taking off, you know, from here, buzzing around. It would be quite uh, disruptive, I guess. It's, it's very interesting, the developments and the possibilities. And also, um, I was actually listening to um, a fascinating uh, lecture on, on drones uh, this weekend. It's just like, it's it's incredible, the developments and how things are, are moving ahead very, very quickly. Yeah. What I like the most about that story is Delta's uh, immediately focusing on how can they seamlessly offer this to the buyer. And I like that attitude mm-hmm. quite a lot. They're not just investing in the space and saying, oh, this is going to be cool. They're looking at how can the experience for the passenger buying the ticket be very seamless and include that vertiport to airport section on in the booking. And I think that's really good to hear because um, that's what's going to make a difference for them in that case. And I'm really keen to see how this is going to develop. And Ush 2024 is very, very near. It's, uh, it's going to be there in the blink of an eye. So exciting times. Moving on, I did a post about this, but so did others as well. I see um, that uh, Johan Bartel also you know, talked about this, and this is just about greenwashing, where there's questions being asked about how green some of the airlines really are, or uh, those you know facts that they mention about their reduction and impact on the environment are actually measured. Not a pleasant story to read. It's it's quite um, shocking to see some of those things happening. And um, I got plenty of comments as well in that post, as well as the one from the others. It calls you know for regulation in this space and and you know for some further insight. And what did you make of this? It's been a concern of mine for a long time, as you know, because we've been talking about this um, among us. Um, and it's it is it is really shocking uh, the lack of transparency. It makes you feel. I mean, as a customer, you, you feel cheated. It's just sad. It's really upsetting. And, and well, you know, my viewpoint, I think that airlines should, instead of, of asking the customers to um, offset and without having the transparency for that, they should invest and be very clear and transparent about how those investments are made and used towards. So I, I find it very upsetting. And I, I hope we get, you know, we get more visibility on this. I don't think that anybody's own problem, and I will say this, that 
the airlines have a carbon problem. I don't know why their problem becomes the passenger's problem. So I know you and I and agree on this topic where the passenger, you know, having to have to pay for this or having this understanding between the traveler and the airline that, you know, you can offset or you can do this and that regarding carbon emissions. I mean, it's like handle your own business. Why does it have to become something that the, now the travel has to think about, the travel has to manage or offset or have this uh, extra burden in their mind about carbon offsets? I don't know if that's really what the airline business is about. And I really don't like the fact that they're even doing any of this to begin with. But don't make it on a line item basis. There's enough line items in travel as it is. Now you just added more. There's another T-shirt of the week, though. Enough line items in travel. I like it. Now, Ash, you, you make the assumption that I might not be in agreement with you, but I am. I'm 100% with you on this one. Um, and that's why both Anna and I are quite excited about um, EasyJet saying they're going to abandon all of this and rather focus on how they, as a company, will become carbon neutral themselves. So that it's exactly that situation. It's their problem, and they will deal with it. So hats off to them for um, stepping out of um, you know this and, and, and focusing on um, being neutral overall. Yeah, I think all three of us really agree on, on, on this one. That is the responsibility of the airline and they should do it right. And it's, it's not the way to build trust to, you know, like this really depressing article we saw. Just heard about um, Hungarian-based Wizair in Jay's report there. They're doing very well with ancillaries, but they're also doing very well with some innovative routes. And they've recently opened, planning to fly from London to Amman in Jordan. Very, very interesting route to be flying. Um, I think we're all going to keep a keen eye on this. Um, and I don't know if there's something I'm missing about that route, but it, it does appear that the homework on that route supports that. There was good traffic on that before. So it's an interesting route for Wizair to be flying, right? It is. And I'm just astonished of, of the expansion. It was there. They seem to be expanding. Didn't they want to fly transatlantic too? Yeah. Going to conquer the world, be the, be the next uh, Pan American or something? You know, it makes you wonder. I did see a couple on YouTube who I follow. They are sort of, you know, travel bloggers, etc. And they took a flight on Wizzair and they were so disappointed not to have any flight <laughs> entertainment when they arrived on the plane. And I thought, what did you expect? It's a low cost airline. So there you go. Yeah. Um, are you planning to fly with Air soon? No, but I might if I have to. I did fly EasyJet because I had to, so I did it. Uh, so it's not that I can't do it. I just choose not to do it. But what's really cool about this, it's interesting for me because of where I am, North American market. Uh, the fact that Wizz Air, being a Hungarian airline, is flying between London and Amman, right? So it's, it's interesting that they're flying between two cities that they're not connected to. That's right. This is the first freedom right. And um, it is it is, it is is interesting from that perspective. Absolutely. But um, the numbers supported. There should be traffic on that route. And so, yeah, I, uh, I wish them well. It's, it's very interesting to see this development. Anything we should read into Sabre and United announcing a new partnership? Or is it the same old, same old just being renewed? No, I mean, the good news is at the end of the um, press release, they did say something about NDC. So there you go. There we go. They mentioned that at least. Uh, thank Max Zander for that post. And um, <laughs> and uh, any uh, any comments from you on that on that story, or is it just uh, scheduled PR, as I call it? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good. That's a very good name for it. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I was going to say same old, same old, but um, yeah, mentioning NDC, where we have for the last. 10 years, haven't we? You cannot have a press release without mentioning NTC somewhere. <laughs> unless, it just has to unless, come out. Unless you're Delta and you say you've had enough. 
Yeah, that could, that's exactly what they did, isn't it? So, yeah. um, sticking with the US then, Ash, and I, I don't know if I believe this at all, but apparently the same was true for, for the UK. Skyscanner did this uh, research. Uh, Daniel Stecher brought us the story. So apparently, as many as 56% of Americans show up at airports still undecided about their destination. Have you ever done that, Ash? There's something really weird about uh, the story. I cannot, this is not true. It could be that 56% are clueless about where they're going, you know, so there might be some play on words there, but I can't think that 56% of the people are showing up and winging it to their destination. You Weird. mean they show up and they had no idea Malaga was in Spain, that sort of thing, right? So they... They're just going there and doing what? I don't... It's, I, I, it's really I don't a... believe this either. I think there's something very strange about this story. And then yeah, I think commented... this might be clickbait. This <laughs> yeah. might be clickbait, <laughs> yes. Somebody, somebody commented and said the same is true for the UK, but but Anne, are you in agreement with us here? This is yeah, I can't, I can't stop laughing. Okay. I mean, you know, it's the same. I mean, that fifty six percent of them don't know, don't know whether are they consciously aware of whether knots are are going or are they the knots? You know, actually, actually, in the UK, not that long ago in June, I was I was standing queuing uh, at Gatwick next to a couple who said that you know their trip to um, I think it was Italy got cancelled that morning and now they'd rebooked to Greece somewhere. But at least they knew it was Greece. Yeah, I know. So. That's, a, that's a different uh, story, isn't it? No, fair enough. But uh, yes, there's something yes. very... Are they saying that 56% of Americans are just so on the fly and they're so like, you know, winging... They, they, their life is so amazing that it's they just true, kind of are going with the flow. No. Or... Are they saying that 56% of Americans are so stupid yeah. that they actually come to the airport without it? Like, I'm not sure which way they're going with this, which is what makes yeah. this. We are out of time. And from my side, I just want to say thank you to those in the audience joining us today. And, and absolutely, again, thank you to Anne and Ash. Thank you for joining us today. We do this every week. Um, over to you, Anne, and then to Ash. Thank you, everybody, for listening in and joining us. Over to you, Ash. Thank you, everybody, for joining today's session. We host this LinkedIn audio call every week on Monday, and it's all about linking the travel industry, as you can see from the speakers today. Please do share this event with everybody that you know. Chances are that if you enjoyed it and you learned something today, that someone else that you know will as well. So please do tell them. And if you cannot make it because of time zone or availability, we do make the session available as a podcast on businesstravel360.com. You can subscribe to the podcast by searching Business Travel 360 on Apple, Google, Spotify, or any of the players that you might be using. This is Linking the Travel Industry, signing off.